welcome to the Easel Studio Podcasts. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast live from the International Liver Congress 2022. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Your Hepatology Broadcast News, live from the International Liver Congress. I'm Virginia hernandez Gea, and it's my pleasure to be here with Eric Trepo, Luca Valenti, Anna Leo, and Alexander Krach. So, Alexander, maybe we can start with you. How was your day today? Oh, thanks a lot. I think it was a great day, or another great day. I still think that the there are many successes I think we can we can celebrate here being together, but also I think the atmosphere the first day was really super exciting, but the tension really continues to be there and and I just feel so privileged being part of of this every time I see a full room and every time I know it's a little disappointing, but there's so many questions that we cannot really take them all so this way of of really uh, celebrating but also in my position here as as uh, vice secretary, we do a lot of more things than just um enjoying the science, also many, many meetings. And, and yeah, I just make it can pick on a, on, a, on a few of them, but we had a very nice meeting. As you know, part of what Easel really striving to continuously do is really being the home of hepatology, but also uniting hepatology. And one of the things we're doing is really trying to collaborate very close with the national society throughout uh, uh, Europe. And we had now today uh, 17 societies uh, in one room discussing exactly what can Easel do for them because we all want the same, the mission, the vision of where we're going in terms of improving knowledge, awareness, care, science for, for liver is, is, is all a shared vision. So how do we work together? How can we actually help them and how can they also um, support Easel? So that was really a, 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 all this enthusiasm, all these people that, that, that want to go in the same direction. And, 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 and one special thing was we had also two representatives from the Ukrainian Society for the Study of the Liver. Again, fantastic. We've ourselves strived quite hard to get them here. First they went from Kiev, a bus to Poland, and then in here, it, not exactly a, a, Long an trip. easy start. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, not so, easy, so but it's uh, good. beautiful. I, I, I could spend the whole evening here telling stories, but maybe you can come back to me later, but <laughs> definitely some of the highlights from today. Sounds very good. Anna, what about, what about you? What are the highlights? Uh, your day? Well, there were two things I really enjoyed a lot. First, we did a um, very short and informal presentation of one of the consortia that is endorsed by ESOL. Mm -hmm. It's the um, uh, European Network for the Study of Cholangiocarcinoma. And it was really good explaining to people that just stop by uh, how the consortia was built, what the endorsement from ESL means and the activities that are currently ongoing. Uh, some people actually showed very, you know, interest in collaborating oh, and great. they, they and signed they up, have, like, left our room. Yeah, so that, that's been really mm -hmm. interesting. And uh, I liked also the presentations on the guidelines. Really, I think it helps, it highlights, you know, the main aspects. Even if it's not your field of, of expertise, at least you bring home the main messages. And uh, it, 
it, it gives you also um, more um, interest to go and read the whole paper, and I think that's that was very yeah. useful. The Clear the messages. The most novel aspects in your field. So the, today the, the primary sclerosing cholangitis um, guidelines were presented. And um, so there is uh, a whole new chapter on surveillance mm -hmm. of, in cholangiocarcinoma. And uh, that's been addressed by the experts. And I think it's a key point uh, because there is a high risk for cancer, but we don't have a lot of solid data on the efficacy and the, the tool to use for surveillance in these patients. Is MRI the best one? So, you, so that was a very nice discussion. Good, great. We also have today the late breakers uh, abstracts, which was one of the uh, very well attended sessions. Luca, can you comment on any of the relevant news that we got today? Well, absolutely. There were a lot of uh, very interesting presentation in the session covering uh, the whole spectrum of liver diseases from uh, viral hepatitis to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, uh, HBV and uh, in particular, and basic science as well, genetics of liver disease with uh, uh, a study highlighting novel locus, for example, for liver cancer. Uh, related to alcohol abuse and uh, a new mechanism of liver damage, necropterol necroptosis and, and steatohepatitis. So my field is more related to metabolic liver disease, so I listen particularly the new data uh, related to uh, one of the most promising classes of drugs, the thyroid receptor beta agonism, the derosmetrone study in, uh, in fatty liver disease, and the data were in line with those presented in previous studies confirming that this may be actually one of the potentially successful strategies to cure the disease by decreasing hepatic fat accumulation. The study uh, confirmed that the drug was uh, safe and uh, it was able to reduce uh, non-invasive biomarkers of liver damage. But of course, also the, 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 the newer data on genetics I was also very excited about and being one of the collaborators and my main field of interest. So, Eric, I, I know you are also very interested in genetics of liver disease, so what's your take on, on, the, on the study and, and the novelties in, yeah, in sure. the field? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Luca. I think it was a very nice, uh, very nice study. You know, it's, uh, you, you, you were part of the study, so you know it very well. But what is very nice, uh, it's first, it addressed a, a major, you know, a major burden for, for, for liver disease, which is HEC, and it was alcohol-related HEC, yeah. because, yeah, uh, HEC, you know, you, you hear that Nash is uh, contributing a lot, but uh, Alexander, you will, I'm sure you will agree with me that alcohol is a, still a major driver for, for, for HEC. And here, what they have done is uh, they, you know, they had a, a lot of cases in control, so they did what, uh, what, what we would call GWAS. Which is the the easiest way to uh, to look for uh, for for like genetic variants that are associated with the disease, and they were able to capture so the the usual folks so PNPLA3, TM6F2, and they found a new uh, like a new locus which is in TERT. So for the people that are involved in HEC, uh, people know that TERT is really the first gene that is going to be mutated, is going to accumulate somatic mutation, and here they find so a germline variant. 
and here it was protective but depends uh, at, at which alley you're looking at so I, I it was very nice because it also makes sense with the with the pathophysiology of the disease because with this type of study sometimes you capture things that are difficult to to link with HEC so it's important it shows that it's a it's it's a very it's a, I mean the concept is nice uh, obviously they will need more patients uh, more power and then they're probably going to find more and more genes so it was very nice indeed and we will hope to uh, translate sooner or later these new discoveries into uh, new drugs or a better way to manage the patients. Certainly, certainly new drugs, probably not, uh, probably not prediction at the moment because we don't have enough loci. But uh, for drugs, yes, I think it has been proven in the past in other, uh, I mean, in other fields, for example, coronary heart disease. And uh, for, for hepatology, I think there's a huge potential there, but they will need more functionality, all these kind of studies that are, uh, I mean, that should uh, be ongoing now. What do you see a future for silencing drugs so what kind of drugs are relevant there because i think it, i was really fascinated that that genetics has been around for so long there's been done so many studies yeah. but still yeah. uh, the more power we get and the more pay, we, we 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 come up with new loci and i think this was really surprising that this was was really uh, seems to be associated with with significantly lower risk of hc well um, I think the potential is uh, is huge, but at the moment in hepatology, we are suffering from one thing: is that the the, the sample size is quite low compared to other fields, uh, like uh, I mean, diabetes, uh, Alzheimer, uh, heart disease. So I think when we're going to you know to have really the power and all the samples, because we, it's, it's I, Luca, Luca is going to agree, it's 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 something that is. I mean, genetics in, in liver disease is not something that is so old. That no. now we are really building consortium and things like this. So I think why, why is that? Because we uh, there are seven thousand people here. <laughs> why cannot they? Why can't they find the patient? This must be the perfect place to it's set a, up a, a big I, consortium because it, I guess that's the way it works with these meta analysis and stuff. It, it, indeed, it's a good question, Alexander. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I mean, my view is that it's only going to work if we sit together. And uh, we, we, we put all the, I mean, we join forces and we do indeed this big meta-analysis. I think one of the reasons is that it's still new, so people are not used to it compared to IBD, for example. In, in IBD, they have been doing this for years and years. And we started a bit late, but we are catching up. Uh, but for sure, for sure, uh, consortium will have to be built and people will have to, uh, let's say, again, yes, put their force because together. that study was also actually a, 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 a con with patients from many, many different consortia, wasn't it? Look, you yeah, were part um, of it, or you maybe... Yeah, I don't know if it's many consortium, it's many teams for sure, yeah. because, uh, you know, HEC is, uh, uh, it's common, but it's not also so common. So you still need many centers to reach, you know, sufficient number of cases. And so that, that is very common in the field of genetics. You know, you have these papers where you have 70, 80 authors and maybe seven first, uh, core, uh, core first author and the same for the last authors. It's also, what is also beautiful is that you can really add a lot of people and, uh, you know, really acknowledge the contribution of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And then make really good stuff. So that's uh, I think it's a beautiful way of of really coming with a lot of people together and, and making something that's difficult but really uh, useful clinically uh, also. Yeah. Indeed, but it's an association. Then you know it's 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 really epidemiology. You just call it genetic epidemiology. Uh, as always, when it's epidemiology, you have an association. Then you have to prove it. So I think it's uh, the first part, and then you really give uh, let's yeah. uh, let's say your results uh, to the people that are really doing basic science and they can really prove that it's something that is causal or not. So I think it's a great collaboration. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's very nice.
Yeah, absolutely. So we. Maybe I can ask. I'm so curious, uh, Luca, because the big field here is, is Naval Nash, and so much are happening. And then, you know, there was two, uh, yeah, big trials in 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 Nash. So so, what do you make out of it? There was a similar side. Was it the phase two? And 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 where do we go from here? Because that seems to be the big thing for Nova these days. So what's the bottom line of the semaglutide study there? So uh, I think semaglutide was confirmed to be safe, uh, even in, from the data presented today uh, in patients with cirrhosis, which was kind of needed uh, of needing a confirmation and uh, was effective in reducing weight uh, on average of the patients and uh, uh, some markers of uh, uh, metabolic alteration associated with weight. And so there is potential there that the, the drug will also be able to uh, induce some uh, uh, benefit in the long term in patients also with advanced uh, liver disease. I think this is important also because, I mean, this is one of the drugs that's already currently used for patients with type 2 diabetes and obesity as well, so it's important. Now the trials are starting also in cirrhotic yeah. patients, really not just yeah, fibrosis. Yeah, I think it's, that it was important to demonstrate it's also safe in cirrhotics because this will be uh, facilitated the prescription, for example, the drugs in diabetic patients with cirrhosis without, uh, uh, for example, worrying about potential side effects related to the liver by showing that it's potentially already uh, also beneficial in this subset of patients. So. I think this was an important step in the development program of this drug and this class of drugs because we know that we have several drugs that are targeting GLP-1 and GLP-1 now. We have very exciting data last you week. Do you know if they will start then, or maybe already done, uh, starting a phase 3 trial in cirrhosis or because they're having a phase 3 yeah. in, 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 in F2 and F3 is, yeah. Yeah. Does it make sense? Does, yeah. it ma does it make sense to start at phase three in cirrhosis? Because uh, as far as I know, it was like, okay, it's safe, but it's negative. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, how do you take it? Because was it a sample that was, it was p-value of, of 0.8 or something? Indeed. So, and, and how many patients were there? I can't recall. It was not a big trial, so yeah. it could be a power problem. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I don't think it's a power problem, so it depends to which endpoint you're looking at, if it was yeah. resolution of NASH or if yeah. it was, you know, the reduction of fibrosis. For the reduction of fibrosis, I think, the, as you said, the p-value was 0.8 or 0.8-ish, mm. something like this. So I don't think it was very encouraging there. But on the other hand, uh, do but, we... But then would you expect um, semaglutide to reduce fibrosis or... Because I, I know they are running this phase 2 trial where they combine it with FGF21 to have more fibrotic tag and both and cover the metabolic component and the fibrotic, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think we need to focus um, on, since the patient is already cirrhotic, is progression of disease and outcomes, solid outcomes in terms of survival and complications. The problem is that that takes time, but yeah. I do not expect a drug like that to reduce cirrhosis. The aim could be to stop the progression. Yeah, I think that the most important uh, outcome in patients with cirrhosis that are at risk of complication is the prevention of the, of the rate of complications right. and right. requiring probably longer trying. But if this is a drug that is currently already in use in some, with some other indication, it's very important to prove that it's safe also in this category of patients. And, yeah. and, and if it's safe, uh, it will also yeah, lead to, can, to the continue. same benefit. It's gonna uh, take we can too long. continue to develop this. No, drug. but you're right. But this is the point because 
uh, I'm not sure we are aware of any drugs that can reverse cirrhosis. I don't think that it exists. So that was indeed not the point. But for resolution of NASH, you had a, a, a nice trend. But what is important, you're right, Luca, is that we want this patient not to have uh, to decompensate. But Eric, don't you think that's mm. a time problem also? Because imagine how many patients you catch with when you have them with their diagnosis of, of autoimmune hepatitis. Many of these older kids, they have uh, cirrhosis. And then you treat them and years down the road, then the livers are normal. And also those, some of those you see uh, with relatively advanced alcohol-related liver disease, then they stop and, 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 and improve a lot. So it could be because I think the regenerative potential and potential of the drug across many liver diseases would be able to, 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 to reverse. Um, I yeah, don't know. Well, yeah. Removing the, the cause of disease has always been proven because if you think about virus, virus, if you think about alcohol, if you remove the, um, the pathogen or the, the toxin, Indeed, the, the disease improves. So in the end, I don't, I don't see why NASH should be different in yeah. the end. In the long term. In the least. long term, yeah, of course, in terms of complications. If you remove the trigger, no, but you should be able to... It would, it would have been amazing yeah. if it would have worked. So you would have a patient that is cirrhotic, and you can imagine that then he's F3 or F2. That would have been absolutely fantastic. And I agree that autoimmune hepatitis is a good example because sometimes you have these patients that are indeed cirrhotic, and then they are treated after three, four, five years, and then sometimes they regress. It's true. Yeah, yeah speaking about autoimmune hepatitis, there were some very good presentations at the, the abstract session uh, upstairs. Um, I have to say that I'm happy to see that the field is always more populated. You know, yeah. years ago it was like small rooms, 20 people, <laughs> always the same. And now there is a lot of interest. So that was, uh, that was nice and uh, good studies. I missed that. Are there one or two you can tell yeah. me about? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah well, I have patients. a conflict of interest because one is from uh, my group. <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine if it's a good one. So I, I think so. So we, this is a multicentric study. We um, run it, but it's actually uh, thanks to all the collaborators of the International Autoimmune Hepatitis Study Group. And we wanted to see the incidence of uh, HCC in these patients. So, so far we have 1,400 patients involved. Wow. And uh, actually, the incidence of HCC is very, very low. Okay. Really how, low. How low in, in Well, how low is like in the overall cohort is 0.7 at 10 years percent. 0.7 percent at 10 years. Oh, in, 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 in how advanced disease group? And this is the whole cohort. If you look at the cirrhotic patients, it goes up to 3 percent at 10 years, but it's still it's 0.3 percent per year. Yeah. So it's very, very low. Would you screen these patients? <laughs> That's the point. That's the whole point. Uh, uh, nowadays, we surveil them as any other etiology, but probably it's not cost effective if this is confirmed. Of course, uh, it's a retrospective cohort, but the good thing is that the uh, follow-up is very, very long. We go up to 35 years of follow-up. Now, this is really interesting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like many other things. But are there any then differences? In, in, I could imagine that those who are well, well controlled and respond well to drugs, they yeah. must have a lower <laughs> risk than those where we have difficulties and they... Absolutely. Uh, uh, I know this is the main point. So um, we didn't see any difference in the type of treatment. So immunosuppression does not make any difference. Uh, I mean, the drug you use for immunosuppression. In terms of response, uh, we see that the responders have lower rates of cirrhosis. So 
you would expect to have uh, less HCC. The thing is that the numbers are so small that the difference is not significant. The other difficulty is that in a, such a long follow-up, it's difficult to establish the time of response. So what do you choose? At one year, mm -hmm. at two years? Yeah, it's okay, it's yeah. a little difficult, but... Uh, um, so the bottom line is basically that we shouldn't be that worried and can also tell our patients that even though we, <laughs> we make surveillance, it's probably not the thing that just you Yeah, probably so what makes the difference are comorbidities. Like we've seen that obese pa patients with autoimmune hepatitis do make more HCC. So comorbidities are key. Some patients probably still deserve surveillance because of other cofactors. Well, the, 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 the work is still ongoing, so uh, we need to see when we finalize all the, the data collection. But I think it's, uh, it's a strong message, uh, and it's important to, you know, to let people know and the patients know, yeah. because uh, it's a disease, it's a chronic disease. They often start very young. They have the whole life ahead and knowing that HCC is not such a big uh, no, it's uh, risk, it's important uh, for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Eugenia? So I, I enjoy a lot, um, you know, the clinical board. It was one on portal vein thrombosis in the afternoon that was like very identifying the controversies in the clinical management of portal hypertension in cirrhosis. So which session was that? It was in the Apatology arena, the yeah. clinical, the, the board, uh, clinical board on, on the management of uh, PBT. It was very well attended and very interactive. So people was like asking those dif difficult questions about the, the management and it was like a lot of discussion and I found the format and the, 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 the type of interaction very, very interesting. And I think that people got like important messages for the clinical practice that I think this, also, this is also something that is searched by our so community. So where's the field moving now? Which one is? It's, uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> something about anticoagulation or not, or on when and in who? No, you think, <laughs> I think that it's like what we're st starting to see is that probably the thrombosis in the desplacnic territory is something different uh, because it's very interesting when you treat them with anticoagulation, mm -hmm. something that never happened in the other territories like in the legs or in the, in, in the lung where usually you, you achieve recanalization very quickly. It does not happen in the in desplacnic mm. territory and even 60% of our patients, they do not recanalize. So what opened the question is like, is this a real thrombosis? Where okay. are the pathophysiological mechanisms what do we do implicated? Them, and what should we do with, with them? Are we anticoagulating patients, but maybe we are exposing them to a risk uh, for, <clears throat> and it's not necessary. So I think that this is opening the field to new hypotheses. And of course, it's not easy to to study the portal vein endothelium because it's uh, something not uh, so available. But I think that, that this is where uh, well, the studies study will go. How, how, how is that? Can I really come up with a smart studies design there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that we, we really need to understand the mechanism and what it's uh, driving and the disease and why it's happening and, and then designing like better studies. Do we need to, to anticoagulate the, the patient with PVT that have lower than 50,000 platelets or not? 
Can we anticoagulate these patients? I think we can anticoagulate the, the, these patients if you have a, a thrombosis uh, that really needs the treatment. But I would recommend to start with low doses, and then you see how things go, and you and you um, try to the the doses uh, quickly. But I wouldn't exclude exclude uh, them just because. Uh, Even which if anticoagulant would you use, Andrina? This is another controversy. I think that we need more data to be more uh, low-molecular heparin at the beginning, and, and if the patients, and then you switch uh, to vitamin K antagonist. I think that if the patient has preserved uh, liver function, uh, we have more and more data demonstrating that DOACs are safe. So you first start with uh, HBPM and then you, you move to... Uh, yes, yeah, first okay. with low molecular uh, heparin, heparin and, then, <coughs> okay. and then you change. Okay. And so what about... felt comfortable with DOACs in child A? Child A, a child B, B, I think yeah, that, yeah. that we have enough data Can to be so uh, much comfortable. Easier, basically? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The problem is that I don't know in your countries, but at least in Spain, it's difficult to get the indication because it's mm -hmm. not um, it's not recommended for yet for Splunky. this kind of splachnic vein thrombosis. Uh, so it's uh, complicated and it's not covered by our uh, health, uh, social security uh, insurance. So. We also need data to change this because I think that yeah. they have like really advantages uh, over the, the other options. And what about mm -hmm. the timing? Do you anticoagulate also patients for women you don't have uh, approved that the thrombosis is recent? Or I think that the message here is that I would not treat an image. Okay. Uh, only. Mm -hmm. So I would treat if the thrombosis is giving symptoms or if the patient is a liver transplant candidate oh. that you can risk the, anas the future anastomosis and this is uh, something uh, that it's uh, the aim of the treatment. It's like you, you, if you discover a portal vein thrombosis before starting treatment, you should define why are you treated the patient and what is the goal. So, so if you know that the patient is not going to be transplanted at any time, so excluded from the waiting list, you would not anticoagulate the patient? If it's asymptomatic and it's not a candidate for liver transplant, I think we do not have data okay. to recommend anticoagulation okay. in this in this group. Despite the time uh, range, like if you, if you know it's a very recent thrombosis, you don't coagulate? If it's a small thrombosis, asymptomatic, oh. non-liver transplant candidate, I would not okay. recommend. Okay. It's becoming but very clear then, that yeah. it's not so easy. It was good to, to uh, know, yeah. speak about all yeah. these controversies. But then I think also about what we talked about, how do we make good research for really rare things. There I think really the vascular liver field, imagine where that that was 10 years ago for Valdic really mm -hmm. and some of these consortia really came together we knew almost nothing and that was really what advanced that field there was a researcher from all over Europe who joined forces and added it in and then we learned so much in, in, in all these yeah, years so again a beautiful example of, of exactly. why it really important is to 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 collaborate uh, but really shouldn't we tell or uh, celebrate the new members of the ESL governing board. Tonight yes. we have two who are on, on job for the this first time. Something, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we have uh, 
Canadeo is and Eric Tobacco was was uh, yesterday um, triple sorry was yesterday elected by the General Assembly as the new governing board member. So a warm welcome. We look very much forward to working with you, and it's good that we can put you to work already for the first day. And Luke, you together with uh, Manoli Tsuzakis uh, yeah. stepping mm -hmm. down. We're gonna miss you. Thanks. I don't know you, what you will use all this time for, but uh, <laughs> well, no, this is a great, uh, great shift and opportunity. Thank you. We felt very welcome. I think it was indeed. nice. Yeah. Indeed, we're looking forward to it. I guess I can speak in your on your name here. Yeah. So uh, you know, a key responsibility for being in the um, scientific committee is to make and be responsible for for ILC. So now a key task for you is really to try to beat what the, the current committee have done this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be difficult. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we come to you. I mean, yeah. And maybe We're also I can say another thing, which I think now thinking about the General Assembly, and to be honest, it was a little late when it ended. And I think the final thing many may have missed, but I think a very important thing we also decided upon was a new membership strategy that we believe that the potential for easel to have much more members you know you have we have 30,000 my easel users and 1.2 million uh, 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 click views on on uh, easel campus and then uh, how do you attract new people yeah you make it very attractive and very cheap <laughs> so it's also for everybody listening and who are non-members that uh, uh, a barrier to some have been the price so now we've halved uh, the fee for, for, for young um, investigators, postdocs, or people in, in training, nurses, nurses also. also, allied health prof mm -hmm. care professionals, patients, very low. And for uh, low-income yeah. countries, we've made it completely free uh, because we think that these countries really can benefit for, and there the, the price is definitely a barrier, but all the material, everything EASL stands for, delivers, should be come to these countries and benefit their societies and patients. And, and middle-income countries, um, I think we ended up with a price of 25 euros still, relatively uh, uh, low, so please spread the news. <laughs> People are most welcome in the easel family. Yeah. And then on the other hand, then we tighten a little bit that many of the things that today has been sort of the free access will then going forward not to the same extent be free access things on easel campus access to uh, convention content will then be for uh, members or delegates only so that's the bargain when you open the one door you need to tighten another one a little bit sure mm -hmm. yeah but in the end more and more people will be able to benefit from the easel membership so i think overall uh, and then we'll have a lot of new services and benefits for our new members. It will help for young investigators as well, I think, uh, to so encourage we're them. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think this see. year we had 550 uh, delegates registered as young investigators. And so it's also really nice yeah. to be uh, the place the, yeah, for the next generation, really, where they uh, learn, train, get their network. Yeah. Well, it's been very... Uh, fruitful and interesting discussion and a recap of the day. Thanks, Alessandra, Anna, Eric, and uh, uh, Virginia. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>